0: And if you're an adult and you would like to sit, likely what's going to happen right now is kids are going to leave and that's going to mean that there will be a spot, oh there you go, you can either reconnect with family members that you've been sitting apart from uh, or you can find some seats, they should be around here somewhere. I think we emptied the basement and upstairs and this room so we did the best we could. Uh, It's good to be with you guys this morning. Now I thought uh, it might be helpful, so if you haven't met me, my name's Tony, I have just the privilege and pleasure of being on staff here at Wellspring, and I'd love to just connect, hang out, go for a walk if you're new visiting, checking us out. With that said, I just want to acknowledge, I think we come in with a number of assumptions often to Easter Sunday. Right, as modern people, often we read like a story like the resurrection, and you know, Particularly in our world, we look back and we think that's kind of like an old story. It's like a myth or a metaphor, kind of like we'd read a Greek or a Roman myth, right? Something like life triumphs over death, or life, or like light triumphs over darkness, or tough times can be overcome. And certainly you can take the resurrection narrative and do that. But actually, if we go back to Luke, who's the author we're going to be riffing off this morning. That's not the approach Luke takes. He's actually writing a letter to this guy named Theophilus. And he's not an eyewitness. So what he does, is he goes back and he collects evidence from people that were eyewitnesses. And he writes what he calls an orderly account. Kind of like an investigative reporter. And he brings that to Theophilus. And when we get into the resurrection narratives, that is his goal. Is to get as many facts... As many details to Theophilus and the audience who will read it, not like a myth, not like a metaphor, but actually what transpired that Easter Sunday. And often I think we come into church sometimes on Easter and we're not only just like carrying assumptions, we're also carrying confusion. Like I remember, I didn't really grow up going to church, and I remember being terribly confused by the Easter Bunny business. Anyone else? Like, what does that have to do? Like, you don't read these documents, and Jesus is raised from the grave, and there's an Easter bunny handing out candy to kids. (laughs) Now, scholars are actually really confused about this. They don't exactly know the origin. Uh, Some people think because the Easter bunny is like, well, not the Easter bunny, but bunnies, are prolific procreators, they kind of got kind of connected, and it's an ancient symbol of fertility and life. So some people think, oh, it just kind of melded somewhere in history. Jesus, life, Easter bunny, makes a lot of life. Perfect combination. (laughs) Now the third thing I want to talk about, and this is what I really want to spend time on this morning when it comes to Easter and the resurrection, is I think sometimes we come into church, you come into a gathering like this on Easter and you think, all right, Jesus is raised from the grave, so what that means is, When I die, praise, hallelujah, I am going to go to heaven. Just as Jesus raised from the dead, I will die and I will go to heaven. It's awesome. And that's true. But what I want to do is make the connection for us today that the resurrection has as much to say about what happens after death as what happens now in your everyday life with God. We're going to start in Luke 24. I'm going to read the resurrection narrative. This is uh, verses 1 through 12. We'll have it projected. We have Bibles. Also, you can flip through them if you want. This is what Luke writes. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while we were still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Now, I want us to try and enter into the emotional experience of the disciples, of these women on that first Easter. And imagine the scene. So your beloved rabbi, mentor, leader, Lord, this person you would put all this hope in. It would change not only the political reality of ancient Israel, but the spiritual and communal reality was basically taken by Rome, the big bully on the block. was arrested, tortured, crucified. And you spend all of Saturday mourning, weeping, devastated. And that Sunday morning you gather up some spices and you don't hold these spices in your hand thinking just in case Jesus is alive. You gather these spices because you know that over the last 48 hours, Jesus' body has started to decompose and it smells. And you're bringing the spices so it doesn't smell so much. There is no part of your mind which is thinking, well, let's just see what happens. You know what has happened. His body has been brutally tortured. He is dead in a tomb. But then you arrive, and the rock is rolled away, and there's a messenger there who says that he's alive. He's risen, right? Not like a bird. He's risen from the dead. Verse 4 tells us that the women are perplexed, says that they are frightened. And then in verse 12 it says, Peter shows up and he went home marveling. And when you read the four Gospels, what you'll see is that this collection of words is the same. There's this sense of fear and awe and wonder and astonishment. In fact, fear and awe is the most frequently repeated word in all of the four gospel narratives connected to the resurrection. And actually words like them, like amazed, trembling, astonishment, perplexed, frightened, wondering, happen all the time. And what this is highlighting for us is that they have no idea what is happening. They're utterly perplexed. This is way beyond their sense of control or expectation. And the truth is, right, this is super hard to recreate this morning. Because we've known the ending of the story for 2,000 years. So you come in thinking, I know what's going to happen. Which makes it incredibly hard to actually recreate the wonder, the awe, the, the sense of confusion and disorientation that they would have actually experienced. It's what makes a sermon like this incredibly hard to deliver. Because you all know the punchline. <laughs> What's so different is in the first century, no one knew the punchline. But right? if anyone was going to know what was happening, it would have been the disciples. They literally backpacked with Jesus for three years. Right? The best scholars of the time, the Pharisees and the scenes, they've been studying the Scriptures that pointed to Jesus, and they totally miss it. No one knows what's going to happen. The thing is, we're not only aware of the ending or the punchline, but we're also raised in a culture that essentially trains wonder out of us. Right, if you spend any time with kids, you'll see, like, they get wonder. Like our kids, when they were little, uh, on the night before Easter, we would put little black jelly beans through the house, and the kids would wake up and be like, Easter bunny poop! <laughs> you know, black licorice. They're, for the rest of their life, they're going to associate with Easter bunny poo now but you give kids a recycling bin and they will create a castle. When was the last time you were rewarded for being filled with wonder, right? You go to work, you go to school and someone doesn't say, wow, well done. You took the recycling bin and made a really cool fort, right? You're rewarded for knowledge. You're rewarded for competence. People say you're awesome. Why? Because you're smart, you're competent, you get things done. And don't get me wrong, like, if I'm going into surgery, I will take competence over wonder any day. <laughs> any day. But this is the thing as disciples, as people who are curious about Jesus, If we're curious about the spiritual life, when competence becomes the benchmark, we tend to miss out on a lot. Without wonder, the sense that God is going to do something on that first Sunday in this world or in your life gets eroded. The surprising presence of God takes a backseat to all the other tasks and things we need to do in life. Right, Church, the Christian life, becomes like a religiously dressed self-help project. Where it's all just about you and what you think and what you do. But the story of Easter is not about what the disciples do. It's about what God does. He's the one who raises Jesus from the grave. And what we'll see, it doesn't end there. Right after this story is a story that Luke records about God showing up and doing something in the midst of the disorientation of his people. Right after Jesus' resurrection in Luke's gospel, in verses 13 to 25, the narrative jumps to two friends on a walk home. These two friends are walking to a place called Emmaus. It's seven miles outside Jerusalem. It's like you pick up right now and walk to REI or Imjim Parkway. You get along the water at seven miles. That's a two to three hour journey. And you're walking home devastated. Your disappointment is palpable. And as they're walking, these two friends are on this journey home, walking the road they have walked a thousand times. The stranger joins them. And the stranger's just walking with them, and they start talking about what has happened in Jerusalem this week. Jesus' arrest and torture and crucifixion. And they talk about their disappointed hopes. They likely share moments like you would with a friend reminiscing. Remember that time with Jesus around that campfire? Remember that time when Jesus said that thing or healed this person? Remember that? Remember that time when Jesus welcomed that prostitute, that leper, that person who was far from God? Remember how it transformed everything for them. And then they also mentioned this rumor that there were these women, right? And they said, maybe Jesus wasn't in the tomb, but I, I don't know if I buy it. And then the stranger, somewhere on the two to three hour walk to Emmaus, starts talking. And this stranger starts talking about what they would call the Hebrew Bible, which is what we call the Old Testament, and starts saying, well, oh, but did you notice this? Did you make this connection to maybe this actually was made sense? Maybe this was actually predicted? Maybe this is actually the fulfillment of the story you've been reading your whole life. This convo goes about two to three hours depending on how fast they're walking. And when they arrive at the village of Emmaus, their destinations, right, the friends are like, dude, come, have dinner, come into our house break bread with us, you know? If I walked to Imjin Parkway, I'd be hungry. Likely they are too. And they gather up at this table, this table they have ate at every night in this family environment. And as they sit down, this stranger breaks the bread and the friends recognize this stranger, this fellow traveler, their preacher is actually the resurrected Jesus. The friends didn't know the person they were talking to was the very person they were talking about. They didn't know they were in the presence.